Well, thank you, Brother Morford, and honestly, I feel like I have been so privileged to be able to be with you this week. I uh, told you the very first night, I think it's one time, uh, way back in the early 90s that I was here and traveling with the praise singers, and uh, the only time that I was ever here, but I'm going away with wonderful feelings. I feel like you have a good church. I really do, and I'm not just saying that. I really feel that way. I... Uh, I travel around, and, and you have, you have uh, all ages here. Aren't you glad you have some old people? Yeah. I feel at home with old people. You know that? <laughs> but um, uh, then it's good to have some middle-aged folk. It's good to have some young couples coming on. And it's great to have some uh, young people. My, there's some places I go, there's just virtually, just, they just don't have young people. You know what's going to happen at the dying church. But you've got young people, you've got children, and you have so much to be thankful for. And, uh, and really, I, uh, I want to commend you and uh, uh, thank you <clears throat> for standing by your pastor. And I trust you'll continue to do that. I've been in the pastorate, I uh, pastored for uh, right now a little better than 20 years, and then I to school for 28 years. And uh, I, uh, I know, you know what it's like to pastor. And uh, it just means so much to have people that he can count on to be here. And you've been very consistent throughout the week. And that makes, that makes it so much better for a pastor. But it's been our privilege to, uh, to be with the Morfords this week and, um, and get to... Uh, uh, that was good to be with Brother Jeremy and, and, uh, and Sister Trish. Now, they're, they're my grads, and I'm proud of them, very proud of them. And uh, so good to see the work that they're doing here. But I enjoy being with those kids. One of them brought an umbrella last night. When they brought it in the church, I thought, why are you bringing an umbrella after church? I was glad they did. Because it was Eliana. Where are you at, Eliana? Right there. <clears throat> she asked me if, uh, if, uh, if I wanted her to share the umbrella with me. And we did, didn't we? Yes, indeed. And I got to hold the umbrella. She held it too, but you know, I had to hold it just a little higher than she would have. But uh, we walked to the parsonage together uh, under the umbrella, and that helped keep me dry and keep her dry. Thank you, Eliana. And uh, I had some little flowers that were given to me by uh, Kirsten and Eliana, some little dandelions. They picked them, and uh, they were given to me last evening uh, when I went over for the evening meal. And, uh, and uh, little Kristen said, am I pronouncing it right? Kelsey. Kelsey. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, and Kelsey said, now, <clears throat> make sure you feed those flowers. <laughs> They're still in the water, Kelsey. They're still drinking. I didn't check them this evening. But this morning, they looked better than they did last evening. <clears throat> but, uh, and then uh, to be with uh, Brandon... <clears throat> who uh, I think looks so much like his uncle Jason. I, I looked at him and, and uh, he just looks so much like your uncle. And, uh, and Dennis came in from school the other day and I, he met me, was it uh, Friday evening? I think it was a Thursday evening. He said, Brother Zekman, I hit a home run today. Now that was exciting. And I got excited too. And uh, I love to hear young people share their stories. I mean that. I'm not just saying that. I love to hear it. My grandson... Uh, if he's uh, uh, playing softball uh, there at the school at our picnics, we have a, 
I say we, I'm so I have I say that, said that for 28 years, but uh, the school has a picnic in the fall and a picnic in the spring, and uh, the high school plays the college. And some years the high school wins, some years the college wins. And uh, so uh, my grandson, I'm there and I'm rooting him on, you know. And when I was president, I had to be a little careful because I was rooting for the college because he was on the college. But when he was on high school, I was rooting for the high school, okay? <clears throat> Is that all right? All right? Thank you. Thank you. I thought it was too. But, uh, but, you know, for him to talk to me and, you know, this is what I did, Papa, and that kind of thing. You know what? I want to be a listening, uh, have a listening ear so that they can share. And uh, so it's been so good to be with your whole family, Brother Jeremy. Thank you for the invitation to come. I appreciate it so much. And thank you for your uh, comments. You've been very gracious in your comments. Um, and uh, I, I thank you very, very much. And for your support. Uh, you've listened. Uh, if anyone went to sleep last night, I didn't see you, okay? I told my uh, past, no, it was a leadership class back, uh, I don't know if you were in that one, Brother Jeremy, but it was a, it was a stack class in an afternoon in the spring. And afternoons, after you eat lunch in a warm day, you know what you want to do? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I told the students, I said, now students, listen, uh, <clears throat> I know you may get tired, but I'm just telling you something. If you fall asleep, I want you to know I have erasers and I've got books and I can throw them. <laughs> I don't know that I ever had any to go to sleep. <laughs> but, uh, but if you went to sleep last night, I didn't notice it. And uh, so don't feel bad, okay? But uh, thank you so much for your support, for your, the way that you've listened. And, and I appreciate it so very, very much. Thank you for the meals. I tried to mention that throughout the week. Uh, for the different things that were brought into the parsonage. And uh, I was the beneficiary of that. And thank you so much. I appreciate it. And uh, uh, I know that you took an offering for us last night. Thank you for that. I just want to assure you that all of that goes for the assistance of senior citizens. <laughs> My wife and I are senior citizens. <laughs> and Jimmy... I was glad to see other people here have made a lot of new friends. I'll take your friendship with me, but Jimmy, I'm so happy to see you. I mean that. Jimmy was one of my boys. And uh, uh, I'd like to say that Jimmy always did everything right. Once in a while, he had a problem. But uh, you know what? I saw something good in Jimmy, and it's coming out in Jimmy now. And Jimmy, I'm proud of you. And uh, listen, you've got to do right. That's what I tell my told my students, do right. And I'm telling every one of you, do right. I don't think we need to ask ourselves or ask somebody, else, now, what is really right? When in most things, I know last night we talked about some decisions that we need to make, but what is right? Do right. Do right. And uh, be safe in the process of doing right. Don't do something that's questionable and uh, you'll make it by the grace of God. So... Thank you for everything. We appreciate it. We will be getting on the road in the morning. Uh, I'm not a last-minute person when I go to the airport, if I can help it. And I don't think I will be any different tomorrow morning. Because this morning, with the change of time, I was up at 5 o'clock. And, um, uh, and I'm an early riser, uh, typically at home. And I'll be an early riser tomorrow. I don't know what time I'll get on the road. But I'll get on the road where I can stop and I'll grab a breakfast along the way. Thank you for allowing me to use your, uh, your, uh, your uh, 
I keep wanting to say the Family Life Center, but your fellowship hall uh, for me to cook my breakfasts, and um, uh, I appreciated that. And, but I, tomorrow morning, I will stop and I will buy my breakfast and uh, will uh, not be rushed if I can help it at all. And uh, my wife took um, Jameson's girlfriend back to the airport on Monday, left in good time, but they got held up because of a bad accident. They got to the airport about 20 minutes, I think, before departure. And... Um, she, they, she had to go through the process just like anybody else. And she was just going through security when they said three more minutes and we closed the door. I guess, ouch. She made it. She made it. And she was very happy. I don't like to do it that way. So I will wait longer at the airport than three minutes, I can assure you. If I don't get caught in a traffic jam, some accident or something. But you pray for us that God will give us traveling mercies. And that God will be with us, <clears throat> and we'll try to remember you as God brings you to our mind. I want you to know something. We've got to make it. We've got to make it. We haven't heard the gates click behind us yet, people. Regardless what age, you think that old people never have a battle, but that's not true. Am I right on that, elderly? That's right. The devil works on elderly people just like he works on young people. But it may be different ways, different methods. <clears throat> but we've got to make it. So let's keep the faith. And let's keep our eyes fixed on him. Keep our hand in his big hand. And keep walking on the way of holiness. And we can make it by the grace of God. Well, if I've missed anything, please forgive me. But you've been so gracious, and I mean that. And uh, thank you very, very much for giving me this opportunity to be with you. I want you to turn with me tonight to the book of Acts chapter 1 and also the book of Hebrews chapter 13. Oh, by the way, uh, I will be back out here, not this coming week, but uh, two weeks for an IH convention up at Ottawa. We'd love for you to come. And uh, it's going to be a Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday convention. Starts Wednesday evening. I can't tell you the time. If it's a 7 o'clock or 7.30, I just don't know. I don't have any of the announcements. Uh, I haven't seen any of the announcements, I don't think. But uh, uh, it's going to be at Ottawa. And uh, uh, Brother uh, uh, Robert Whittaker, uh, not Whittaker, but uh, um, yes, England. Brother England is supposed to be the co-worker. And I'm not sure if he's going to be there or not because I know he's had some physical issues. was in the hospital. And uh, I heard that what they tested him for uh, came back negative, which that was good. But uh, at this point, as far as I know, Brother uh, England will still be there. And I can't tell you even, in fact, who's singing uh, for the convention, but try to come if you can. I know it's a little drive. What is it, about two hours, two and a half hours, something like that, to Ottawa? Somewhere in that neighborhood, I think. You're the ones that know. But uh, if you can come, we'd love for you to come be a part of the convention. All right, did you find the scripture? Acts chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 13. Stand if you will, please. <clears throat> I want to read the first 14 verses of Acts chapter 1 <clears throat> and one verse from Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 8. Acts chapter 1, beginning with verse number 1. 
The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts, part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room, where abode both Peter and James and John, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon Zelotes, and Judas, the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women, and Mary the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 8, Jesus, I'm sorry, the, the Hebrew writer has been giving some extremely practical admonition in the first part of this chapter. And right here, getting close to the middle of it, the Hebrew writer stops and this is what he says, and I want to focus on this tonight. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, for the privilege that it's ours to be in the house of God tonight. We have sensed your presence we have sensed your presence through this week. We thank you, Jesus. And I pray now tonight that thou will help us to convey the message that we feel that you have laid upon our heart. We need you, Lord. We cannot do this in our strength, but we must have the divine touch from on high. Lord, if we don't have your touch, it'll be merely words. But if you will come and if you will anoint us and you will help us to convey the thoughts clearly, but then have these words anointed by God, by you, O Lord, so that they will penetrate our hearts. That's what we desire. We're only a servant, O God, a vessel, and we want you to use us tonight. Now, Lord, for what's accomplished, we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> My text tonight, <clears throat> Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
seems to be a verse of Scripture that should give us a lot of security. The day in which we live, there's a lot of individuals that struggle with the lack of security. That lack of security comes from a number of things. It can come from the fact that families do a lot of moving. My, my wife's family, her father was a minister, and, but also uh, a lot of the time he was in the ministry, he did working on the side, and he built some houses, and, and then uh, uh, he was not really a contractor, but he built a house, and then they would move into it for a short time, and then he'd sell it, so they would move to another place. And, and she said uh, that in, uh, in, in her first 20 years of, of life, she lived in probably 15 to 20 houses. It's just that she moved a lot. We were married in 1969, and um, uh, we really lived in one, two, three houses up until 74. And uh, from 74, we moved to the church that we pastored for 16 years. And my wife would say, honey, <clears throat> I feel like it's about time to move. She said, I am so used to moving, I just feel like it's about time to move. Now, my wife has totally changed. We built a house on the family farm uh, 24 years ago. Now I can hardly get, no, I was about to say I can hardly get my wife off the hill. We, she didn't know if she'd like it out there in the country, but she just loves it. And, uh, and that's not why she's not here, okay? Uh, but uh, 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 she knew what it was in the earlier part of her life to move and move and move. There are other individuals that struggle because of separation of parents. And we live in a day when so many homes are in trouble. It was my privilege this morning, Brother Doyle, to share with the young people. And we talked about children uh, most of that time, the raising of children. But let me tell you something. Let me tell you something, people. We need to work at keeping our homes together. It doesn't just happen. I requested prayer uh, tonight, just probably, I don't know, maybe a half hour before I came over here, received a phone call from back home of somebody that just, I don't know if it was just today, informed his wife that he was leaving. And... Uh, I mean, I know these, I mean, these are people are very, very, very close, okay? And uh, uh, it's a young, young family. They have little children. They have three little children. And, uh, but again, it doesn't matter what age. We need to work to keep our homes together. But there are young people. There are people that struggle because of homes where, uh, uh, where there's divorce and I remember flying, my wife and I were flying here not too many months ago, and we were headed back to, uh, to uh, Baltimore. I don't remember where we were flying from now, but there was a little boy that sat, uh, he, he, he didn't want to sit where they were going to seat him on the plane. We were in Southwest, you know, there you select your own seat. And um, uh, they were going to put him one place, and he didn't want to sit there. And uh, uh, so uh, they asked if he could sit with us, and we said, absolutely. So my wife, uh, we had a seat between us, and there's where the little boy sat. And I thought, if I can get him to open up, if I can get him to open up while we travel, he was on his way back to Baltimore to spend some time with his daddy. I mean, just a little guy. I don't remember. He was probably about seven, eight, eight or nine years old, I think it was, maybe 10 at the most. And, uh, but I'm just simply saying there's a lot of insecurity. 
But that verse of Scripture, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever, brings security to us. And um, Paul, uh, the writer here, the Hebrew writer, who many believe was Paul, and I kind of feel like it was as well, but nevertheless, doesn't make any difference whether it was Paul or somebody else. It's still God's Word. He was writing, and again, giving us good admonition, and then he stops and says, Jesus Christ the same. Man changes. Rules and regulations change. I've been around the church long enough. You've been around the church long enough. You've seen lots of changes. But remember something, Jesus Christ remains the same. The disciples were gathered on the Mount of Olives, and Jesus was conversing with them. He was getting ready to ascend into heaven. They didn't know what all was going to take place. But there, as Jesus admonished them to go to Jerusalem and there to tarry until they'd be endued with power from on high, and then all of a sudden Jesus begins to leave the ground, and He's ascending heavenward, and they look as long as they can get a glimpse of Him, and beyond the time that they could see Him, and the clouds enveloped Him, and He was taken out of their sight, but the angels appeared. And comforted them and said, this same Jesus. And I want you to get that. This same Jesus, which is taken up for you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. When we look at our circumstances today, do you know what many of us will say? It's the darkest that we've ever seen. Is that a correct statement? I'm, again, I'm no longer a young person and, and I can say I've never seen a time like we're living in today. I've never seen our country in the condition like it's in. I've never seen the church world in the condition that it's in. But I want you to think with me tonight, Jesus doesn't change. First of all, I want to notice tonight the Jesus of yesterday. <clears throat> we must be reminded that when reading through the Scripture... Uh, and, uh, and even through uh, the Gospel of Matthew, which immediately follows the Old Testament book of Malachi, there were 400 years between the writing of the minor prophet Malachi until uh, the time that Jesus came there in the book of Matthew. Malachi would not have recognized his country or his people if he would have returned. Politically, politically, the nation of Israel had passed through some extraordinary situations. Conqueror after conqueror had marched over the land of Israel, changing everything. For a while, they were under a monarchy-type rule. The battle for freedom had often been won and lost. Until now, at last, they were completely under the mighty Roman power. <clears throat> And which had extended its influence over the whole old world. And the nation of Israel was divided into several small portions which were ruled by different persons. Galilee and Perea were ruled by petty kings, the sons of Herod. Judea was under the charge of a Roman official. Roman soldiers paraded the streets of Jerusalem. And the Roman flags waved over the strongholds of that country. The Roman tax collector sat at the gates of every town. The Jewish Sanhedrin had become only puppets of Rome. 
The condition of Israel at this particular time was in sad shape. Not only politically, but religiously. It appeared that there was some in, uh, improvement spiritually. Externally, that is. It appeared there was some progress that was being made. The nation of Israel became far more orthodox than it had been in earlier periods of history. They were strong monotheists, worshiping one God. Synagogues were multiplied wherever the Jews lived. And every Sabbath, they were filled with praying congregations. Schools of theology had sprung up in which rabbis were trained and sacred books were interpreted. But in spite of all this religiosity, religion had sadly declined. Okay, I hope you can follow me here. The externals in that day had multiplied, but the inner spirit had greatly disappeared. Let me talk just a little bit about the externals so you can follow me. The Pharisees had what? Nearly 600 laws that they tried to keep. They were intent on trying to keep the law, except for they didn't want it. Okay, then they would make excuses for themselves. But they were very religious, but it was all external. And for the last 400 years, there was no prophetic voice heard in the land. The records of the old prophets were still preserved and many revered, but they hardly had anyone with enough uh, inspiration of the Spirit to understand what the prophets had formerly written. And the religious men of the time were only Pharisees. They were strong on being different, but they didn't have any experience. They were strong in the law. They were strong in being different. They substituted the grand distinctions of love to God and love to man with Jewish feasts, tithes, washings, and sacrifices. Doesn't sound like a very good time. And it wasn't. But even though Israel was in a bad shape politically, and even though they were in bad shape religiously, in the midst of all of that darkness, Jesus came. Jesus came. He came as a babe. He was born. And uh, the message to Joseph was, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. There was hope that was given. Can you grasp that? In the midst of the darkness, we're saying it's never been darker than it is today. And the, and the, uh, the old, uh, uh, in the days of, of uh, uh, prior to Matthew there, they would say it was never darker than it is right now. But in the midst of it all, Jesus came. Hallelujah. And he came performing miracles. John the Baptist asked if he was the one that should come or if they should look for another. And Jesus sent word to John the Baptist, and this is what he said. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor of the gospel preached to them. Jesus Christ came to minister rather than to be ministered unto. I'm thankful that Jesus Christ came in the yesterday, when it was dark, when it was dismal. And the spiritual world was in bad shape. The political world was in bad shape. And Jesus came at that particular time. 
Let's not only look at the Jesus Christ of yesterday, but let's think a little bit about Jesus Christ of today. And let's go back still a few years, quite a few years in fact. Let's go back to the days of Martin Luther. For nearly a thousand years of dark ages, the world was under the mighty hand of the Roman Catholic Church. And they had implemented the the, uh, position of the Pope. The Catholic Church began the sale of indulgences for the forgiveness of sins, which was a buying of your way into heaven. But Martin Luther, in the process of copying the Scripture as a monk, I hope you understand this. I thank God, at least for that part of the Catholic Church, for during that time, they were copying the Scriptures so we have it even today. Okay? And Martin Luther, one of those monks sitting and writing the, the, the Word of God out in his, oh, not a typewriter, certainly not a computer, but writing it out by hand so we'd have it today, discovers the truth of grace through faith as he was reading and as he was writing. And Martin Luther nailed his 95 thesis to the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany and began what we know today as the Reformation, going back to 1517. And the group of people that he headed up were called what? Protestants. We're Protestants today. Now you know how that word got, came into existence? They were protesters. They were protesting against the Catholic Church. They were protesting against the Pope. And they were called Protestants. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today. Follow me here. And during uh, uh, the, the period of history now, we see that Jesus has raised up a man or had raised up a man by the name of Martin Luther for our day. And he was given grace for his day and for our day. And I say, thank God. Amen. About 200 years later, the same Jesus raised up some more men. John Wesley and George Whitfield. The message of grace through faith was preached. Yea, it was weak. George Whitfield was converted and began preaching the truth. And the doors of the Church of England were closed to him. So he went into the open air, and there he preached to as many as 20,000 at one time. And John Wesley, who we look to, was the one who experienced a second definite work of grace. And he called it perfect love. And he preached his message of holiness in the midst of much persecution. God raised up those men. And again, if you can get a hold of this, do you know why he raised up those men? He raised up those men for that day and this generation as well. Okay? And he preached the message of holiness. Yes, it was with persecution. One account tells us that the mob broke into the house where they were worshiping. Tore part of the house down. Broke the window panes, the sashes and all. They smashed the chests, the dressers. They took personal belongings. And they tried to get the people to commit that they would never have another Methodist preacher. But you know what the people said? We have already lost our goods. 
and nothing more can follow but the loss of our lives, which we're willing to, rather than, than wrong our conscience. They were willing to suffer. They were willing to suffer because they had experienced. It's so much different back than what it was back in early Israel when all they had were the externals. Now they were experiencing an experience of grace. I can bring us up closer now to our generation. You don't know these people that I'm going to talk about because they were the founders of our group. There were some men by the name of, of Daniel Dupendorf and William Straub in 1929 that conducted a tent meeting about 40, 50, 60 miles from where Penview Bible Institute is today. And revival broke out. And many were saved, and many were sanctified. As a result of that, of that tent meeting, they moved from that area and came into my area, where I live, where my family lives. And they held a revival in the old, it was a one-room schoolhouse that is now, or used to be, right next door to our, what is now the Beavertown God's Missionary Church. My grandfather was serving on the public school board and, and was able to obtain permission for that revival to be conducted. And in that revival, my grandfather got sanctified. And God broke in in such a wonderful way. Oh yes, there were people that didn't like it and they cut the electric wires to the place. They put sand in some of the engines of the cars. There were people that lost their jobs because they were Christians, and people distanced themselves from them. But do you know something? They continued until churches were established, and thank God today, I'm the beneficiary of what those old-timers went through. I don't know your story, but I'm sure. Somebody told me the other night that your group a brother was started out of a revival. Is that correct? You could tell the story of someone that began, somebody that employed themselves, somebody that held a revival, somebody that started all of this. Do you know something? It was Jesus Christ who raised them up. Do you know why? For this generation. Are you getting it? Jesus Christ is saying yesterday, today, and forever. I'm glad that Jesus Christ is concerned about our generation. He's concerned about this generation. And do you think that God who sent holy men to proclaim the glorious gospel would cease to be concerned about this generation? Absolutely not. He is still concerned. He is still concerned about this generation. And may we, may we as a church, you as a church, may we not forget our reason of existence. Your church is more than a social hall. It's more than a social gathering. It's more than just coming to church on a Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night at prayer meeting as routine. You're coming here because why? You're coming to touch God. You're coming for God to minister to you. You're coming here that the lights might get beyond these four walls and light this generation for Jesus Christ. Are you following me? <clears throat> May we not forget our mission to this generation. Some years ago, back in the late 80s, we made a trip to Florida. 
My wife and her sister back in the 60s went to Hope Sound for one year. My wife's my wife's mother was killed when my wife was about four years old. Was killed in a car accident over here in the state of Missouri. Route 66. I think it's Route 66. My father-in-law, wonderful man, but about two years later, felt like he needed a wife, and he married somebody that he had known for 30 days. Started writing to her 30 days before they got married. It's not a good situation. Not a good situation. I could tell you stories of what the girls went through in the home. Not good stories. Most people never knew it. My father-in-law pastored. My father-in-law was in evangelism. But most people never knew what those girls went through at home. They one time had to leave home because of brutality. And another sister took them in. But they, when they were teenagers and young teenagers, my wife, however, was just turning 16 when she went to Hope Sound, but her sister wasn't even quite 14. And Brother Heron knew my father-in-law. And my father-in-law said, my girls need to come. Will you take them? Brother Heron said, Brother Carol, we will. Martha would have been of age to go, but Mary not. But he said, we'll take them. And they had a good year at Hope Sound. They came back the next year. Penview was then in operation, and they came to Penview. Okay. But now some years, you know, here we're in the latter 80s, and my wife's sister, Mary, was chosen to be the alumnus of the year at Hope Sound. So we made the trip to Hope Sound so that Mary could receive the reward, the award, and we wanted to be there as well. I'll never forget that time. Brother Heron was wheeled in in his wheelchair. He was no longer president at the school. He was brought in in his wheelchair. And they gave him opportunity to speak to the alumni that had gathered. And Mary received her award, of course. But Brother Heron looked at us who were there. He accepted me just the same as if I would have had been a student at Hope Sound. But he looked at us and he said, preacher boys, he said, you are ministering to this generation. You're not ministering to the generation that's past. And you're not ministering necessarily to the generation that's in the future. You're ministering to this generation. And I want you to know something tonight. Jesus Christ is concerned about this generation. For such a time as this, He put you here. For such a time as this, He planted you here. For such a time as this, you were born at this particular time. For you know why? That you might shed forth the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. You're not, we're not talking to just preachers. We're talking to everybody tonight because we all have a responsibility. And may we never forget our mission to this generation. And may we never forget our message of proclamation. It's Jesus Christ, the hope of this world. Glory to God. And I must hurry.
This same Jesus. This same Jesus. You can look back to your history. Again, I don't know your history, but I'm sure there's, it's a glorious history. I believe that. I look at our own history. Glorious. God came. We, I grew up in the fire. I grew up in the glory. Back home, when I was growing up, my, uh, uh, we have German customs. Zeckman is a pretty German name, okay? We might have a little bit of Jewish blood in us. Whenever I go to buy a car, they are sure that I do. But back home, the men sat on one side. That, they don't anymore. But the men sat on one side of the church and the ladies sat on the other. That was custom. And I would sit with my mother most of the time. Just a little guy. My mother, on a Sunday morning, God would come and my mother would get blessed. You know what I'm talking about. My mother got blessed. You know something? I just kind of flew off of her lap. And one of the other ladies of the church would take care of me while my mother was out shouting up and down the aisles of that church. I'll tell you what, I wouldn't trade that memory for anything. Glorious. And we can point back to the yesterdays and we can say, oh my, it was glorious in those days. It was glorious. But I want you to know something. Jesus Christ is just the same today. It's just, he's just the same today. And He is the same. And He wants to dispel spiritual darkness. The scriptures, the songwriter said, When all around my soul gives way, He then is my hope and stay. He wants to dispel spiritual darkness in this generation. I believe that tonight. This generation is not hopeless. When I look at the LGBT community, I look at where we've gone, I hardly can fathom where we're at today. I can hardly fathom our politicians that are so strong on same-sex marriages. I can hardly fathom that. And we can look at this generation and say, there's no hope. But I want you to know that's not so. That's not so. The same God that came in yesteryear is the same God that wants to move today. And He wants to dispel spiritual darkness. Now that gets all over me. I used to tell my students there at school, you may remember this, Brother Jeremy. Listen, God has a message for you to proclaim, and I want you to go from our halls. This past year, it was hard for me. When I said my last comments to the graduating classes, I couldn't hold back the tears. I did it for many years, but this this was my last chance to do it. As I looked at those students, I said, students, take the message of the gospel. It's the hope of our day. It's the hope. That's what they prepared for. And you tonight... We have a message to proclaim, and Jesus Christ is the same today. He wants to dispel the spiritual darkness, thanks be to the Lamb of God. And He's still able to save that wayward soul. He's still able to save that one that's lost, that one that you're praying for, that one that looks like, and I told you the other night, I'm praying for my brother that's not saved. He's never been saved. He's 79 years of age. Do you believe he's going to get saved, Brother Zeckman? I definitely do. But he's still able to save the wayward soul, that one that seems hopeless, that one whose life is messed up. He's able to take the broken pieces and put them back together. Do you believe that? He's able, as as Nicodemus came to him by night and Jesus said, you must be born again. Glory be to God, the man of Gadara who was possessed of the demons. Jesus cast out the demons. 
Everybody else was afraid of that man, but not Jesus. And where did they find him? They found him clothed, and he was sitting at the feet of Jesus and in his right mind. I love it. That's the power of God. That's not just for the 1950s. That's just not for the 1970s or the 1980s or the 1990s. That's for 2018. Amen. We need to build our faith tonight. We need to let our faith expand. We need to let our faith surge because the same Jesus of yesteryears is the same Jesus today. Remember, I said that when Israel was in darkness politically and they were in darkness religiously, Jesus came and he came to bring them hope. I brought you down through the centuries of time. And, and we talked about Martin Luther and George Whitfield and, and John Wesley. But we're talking now about this generation. But it's the same Jesus all chronologically, all through the time. He's the same one that, thank God, that answers prayer. He's the same one that heals the wounded spirits. He's the same one that will rebuild our faith. As I mentioned this morning, thank God, go tell Peter. Go tell Peter there's a way back. <clears throat> This same Jesus is able to empower us. John 14, 12. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall ye he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. In Luke 24, 49. And behold, I send the promise of my Father to you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem. Why? Until ye be endued with power from on high. We need that power, people. Amen. We cannot afford to sacrifice it. We cannot afford to feel like it's not for us all today. The songwriter said, it's for us all today if we trust and truly pray. Acts 1, 8. I read it tonight. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Glory be to God. Do you really believe that, Brother Zechman? I most definitely do. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, 2018, and forever. And forever. My father-in-law used to say, this, this religion, this salvation is like eating an ice cream cone, starting from the little end. The farther you go, the bigger it gets and the better it gets. This work has a future. Your work here has a future. And Jesus said we're to do what? Occupy until he comes. And he said his word would not return void. And God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And Paul the apostle said, I am ready to preach the gospel. <sighs> oh, if I, if I could somebody convey it to you like I feel it tonight, this is the greatest privilege we have is to tell somebody about Jesus Christ. You don't have to be a preacher to do it, but thank God I have the privilege to preach. And I mean that. I used to tell my students, it is a privilege. It is a privilege to be a part of the work of God. And it is. Paul also went on to say, I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. There's a future. And I want you to lift up your chins. Yeah, both of them, okay? 
I want you to lift up your chin tonight. Jesus Christ was the same of yesterday. Can you get a hold of that? Oh, we talk about the good old days. Thank God for the memory. But we need to talk about what God can do for us today. Lord, build my faith. Build my faith, oh God. Help me. What does the scripture talk about? The old men dream dreams and the young men see visions. We old men are we're still dreaming dreamings, dreams. But young people, catch a vision. Catch a vision. There's a vision. It takes visionary people to, to reach out. And tonight, I want to encourage you. It's Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. And there's a future eternally, by the way. As the disciples were watching Jesus ascend into heaven from the Mount of Olives, they were comforted by the angels who said, Why stand ye gazing into heaven? Do you see the correlation? This same Jesus, whom you've seen go into heaven, shall so come again in like manner as you have seen him go. Can you imagine how they felt? Can you imagine how the disciples felt? The man they walked with for three and a half years is gone. But the promise, he's coming again. My first trip to Israel, we had a guide by the name of Ami. He was from the tribe of Levi. He was a great guide, great guide. We were up on the Mount of Olives on Palm Sunday. And this is what he said. He said, I want you to look down. I want you to look down to the city of Jerusalem. See, when you're on the Mount of Olives, you look from the Mount of Olives down right into the city of Jerusalem. The Kidron Valley separates uh, the Mount of Olives from actual, the actual city itself. You go down through the valley. Now, it's not far, okay? It's not far. And he said, I want you to see down there, there's the eastern gates. You've seen pictures of the eastern gates, I think. Hopefully you have. The eastern gate of the wall in Jerusalem is laid up of rock. Completely laid up. There's no gates there that swing. It's completely closed. And Ami said, Ami said, one of these days, one of these days, he said the Messiah is coming. Which, you know, the Jews, they're still looking for the Messiah. But I want you to know something else he said. He said, Jesus. He said, Jesus ascended into heaven from this mount, the Mount of Olives. And he's going to set foot back on the Mount of Olives. That's what he told us. And he said he's going to go in through the eastern gates into the city of Jerusalem. We got down... Not that day, I don't think, I don't think it was uh, Palm Sunday, it was another day, I believe, that we went into, uh, uh, we were inside the wall now of the city. You heard of the Wailing Wall? They don't call it the Wailing Wall anymore, it's called, called the Western Wall. This is where the Jews will come and they'll pray 
and they write a prayer request on a piece of paper. They roll it up and they put it in the mortar joints of those blocks. Now, I'm not talking about little concrete block like this. I'm talking about huge stones, huge. He took us back. In fact, we were allowed to go to the Western Wall and we were allowed to pray. My wife did write a prayer request, Brother Jeremy. Her prayer request was that her brother, Bud, would get saved. And her brother, the night before he died of cancer, about three years ago, told my wife and her sister that he got right with God. He was away from God for years. I don't know that it had anything to do with writing on that piece of paper and sticking it in the mortar joint. I don't know if it was just the fact that it was prayer, okay? But Ami took us back into what's called the Rabbi Tunnels. The Rabbi Tunnels are, uh, it's, it's, a, it's an area right alongside the Temple Mount. The archaeologists have, have, have got in there and they've removed all of that ground alongside of the, the block or the stones that are, are supporting that uh, Temple Mount. Now there's a, there's, a, there's a piece of rock in there that's one of those uh, uh, building blocks. When I say they're not little, let me tell you how big this one was. It's about 35 feet long. About, I think it was, I think it was either, I think it was 12 feet wide and 8 feet high. They estimated that one, that one stone weighed probably about 600 ton. We said, Ami, how in the world did they ever move these stones into place? They showed us a little uh, video of how they thought they probably would have moved them in those days. And every tier of block, by the way, is set back one inch. So if you lay one course a block, the next one up is set back an inch. And the next one is set back an inch from that. And the next one is set back an inch from that. That's the way the wall was built, so that it would support all of the ground that was on the inside that was creating the Temple Mount. And it would not push that over. And Ami said, he said, I want you to notice something here in this rabbi tunnel. He said, I want you to see the water. There's water dripping from the rocks. And uh, he said, I'm going to tell you something. Now, just a day or two before that, we were down in the Jordan Valley, down to the uh, uh, Dead Sea. Now, you'll never drown in the Dead Sea. I was in it. You don't feel good when you get out. There's so much uh, salt and, and, and uh, uh, minerals. And, uh, of course, you've got to shower and get all that off of you. But some people, I mean, they, they take it and they, they make cream out of it. You buy the Dead Sea uh, cream. And, and, and uh, women use it. Uh, they sell it over there. My wife got some over there. It's excellent for your skin, and it comes right from the Dead Sea. But anyhow, <clears throat> we, we left the Dead Sea, and we were coming up through the Jordan Valley, and Larry Grile from UBC, who is it that has a student here from, yeah, so you know Larry Grile. Larry Grile was sitting behind us on the bus. 
Now, Martha, my wife, had Larry Grile as a high school teacher when she was at Hope Sound. And Larry Grile leaned up to us, Brother Jeremy, and he said, I'm going to tell you something. He said, one of these days, he said, there's going to be water that's going to flow from Jerusalem down to here, the Dead Sea. And if you can see the topography of, of that area, the Dead Sea is 1,200 feet below sea level. Okay, and, and Jerusalem, I believe I have this correct, is like 1,200 feet above sea level, or at least it may be 1,200 feet between the two, put it that way. Nevertheless, <clears throat> Jerusalem's up here on the mountain. Whenever the scripture says, and they went up to Jerusalem, they literally went up to Jerusalem because it's, the elevation of it is, is much higher than any of the other areas around there. And Brother Grial said, he said, one of these days, there's going to be water flow from Jerusalem down here to the Dead Sea. And he said, they're going to be fishing in the Dead Sea. Now, there's no life in the Dead Sea whatsoever. None. There's no grass or anything grows around the Dead Sea because salt kills everything, by the way. You put salt on the ground, it'll kill everything that's there. I just preached about salt the other night. Got on to somebody because there's no salt at my table today. Isn't that awful? I was just teasing. When we were standing in the rabbi tunnels, and Ami said, I'm going to tell you something. He said, one of these days, the Messiah is going to come. And when the Messiah sets on the throne, now we were within 200 feet of the Holy of Holies, where the Holy of Holies had been. And he said, when, when, when the Messiah comes, now remember, it's a Jew that's saying this. When the Messiah comes and he sets down on his throne, there's going to be an earthquake. And he said, there's water that's going to flow from here down to the Dead Sea. And you can read it in Ezekiel. I think it's the 47th chapter. I'm not sure. I think it's the 47th chapter. You can read it in Ezekiel. And he said the, the water is going to flow down to the Dead Sea and they're going to be fishing in the Dead Sea. Just exactly what Larry Grile told us a day or two before. Now he said, I want you to notice something. He said, look at this rock. He said, see how saturated it is with water? He said, every time I come in here, there's more water than there was before. Do you know what that tells me? God's getting ready for Jesus to come back. Prophecy is being fulfilled. While we were there, after we had seen that in the rabbi tunnels, he took us to another place not far from there, and he showed us the menorah, which is the seven-pronged candlestick that is already built for the new temple. We're not talking about a little candlestick that stands about so high. We're talking about something that's probably as high as from the floor to the ceiling at least. Overlaid with at least 80 pounds of gold. That was sponsored by somebody here in the United States. Pure gold. They tell us that they have already made the priest's garments. They're just waiting for it to happen. My second trip to Israel... It was March the 16th, <clears throat> pardon me, 2010. We came from our hotel room down to the lobby area of the hotel in Jerusalem, and we stepped inside a gift shop. 
there was an Arab who was running this gift shop. And he said to my grandson and to me, he said, have you already been into the old city of Jerusalem? We said, yes, we were just in yesterday. He said, that's good. Because he said, today there's going to be problems. Well, we wanted to know what was going to happen. So uh, I was uh, a co-host on this. Brother Whitaker from UBC and I, we, we hosted the, co-hosted the trip together. And uh, I went to Brother Whitaker and he went to the guide, uh, that guide uh, whose name was Aviv, and said, what is going to happen in Jerusalem today? He said, I don't know. But he said, I'll find out. In a little bit, he came back, and this is what he said. He said, the third temple institute is planning to lay the cornerstone for the third temple today. Does that tell you anything? Yeah. We saw police that were putting on their riot gear. They had, they had leg protections. They had clear shields in front of them. They had helmets on. They were uh, going to uh, keep down any trouble. And, but the guide said, now, they'll never, the police will never let them lay that cornerstone today because it'll send the whole Muslim world into chaos. That day, we went over to Bethlehem, did our touring over there and came back. And the day following... I mean, we wanted to know what happened. You know, as soon as we got back to Jerusalem, we asked questions, you know, what took place? The day following, we had a free day, and we, we went into the old city of Jerusalem, and we walked down through the old city. I'd love to have more time to tell you about it. It's tremendous. If you ever get a chance to go to Israel, go. And um, we walked out through the Sheep Gate. Now, the Sheep Gate down in that area uh, is where... Uh, some of these uh, uh, people were, were, were coming in and so forth to planning to, uh, to lay this cornerstone. There were military men and women uh, up on top of buildings with their rifles to make sure there was not going to be any problem that day. Did we have fear? I can't say we really did. I mean, you just look around and, and you were protected, okay? But you know what it tells me? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's coming, people. He's coming. He's coming. We've seen so many, we saw so many sights over in Israel that remind us of the coming of Jesus. I just want you to know tonight, people, we've got to buckle on the armor. We've got to put on the armor of God. We have got to make it. And we can. We have a job to do. We must evangelize. We must spread the gospel. We must tell people about him. But he's coming. And I purposed in my heart, by God's grace, I'm going to be ready. I purposed. There's too much to gain to miss it, Larry. There's too much to gain. I have family members that have made the landing safely. I told you about my mother this morning. My mother died later that Monday evening. We were gathered around her bed. We were singing songs. And mother slipped off into, uh, into eternity. I'm looking forward to the day when I can see my mother. But most of all, I want to see this same Jesus of yesterday, today, and forever. And friend, we've got to make it. He has made it possible from the yesterdays to the today. And has made it possible tomorrow. It was, it was Douglas MacArthur. What did he say? 
I shall return. I shall return there in World War II. And Jesus Christ has told us the same thing. He's coming again. There was a songwriter that wrote these words. The next time he comes, he won't have to die for me. The next time he comes, there won't be a Calvary. And the next time he comes, he'll be coming for me. My question to you tonight is, are you ready? We've got to be ready. We've got to make it. And my next question to you is this. If you're ready, what are we going to do about this generation? What are we going to do about reaching this generation? We have a responsibility. We have a job. We've been commissioned by God's grace. Let's do the job. Let's stand. I've asked our sister to come to the piano. I want us to sing in closing tonight. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon His face, the one who saved me by His grace. And He takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. What a day, glorious day that will be. Are you going to make it? What a day. We've got to make it by the grace of God. We've got to make it. Let's sing it together. What a day that will be When my Jesus I shall see When I look upon His face The one who saved me by His grace And when He takes me by the hand And leads me through the promised land Oh, what a day, glorious day That will be What a day that will be When my Jesus I shall see When I look upon His face The one who saved me by His grace Oh, when He takes me by the hand And leads me through the promised land Oh, what a day, glorious day That will be Just play softly, please I'm going to just tarry If you're not ready I want to give you the opportunity to come and pray There's nothing better, no better way to close this revival, no better thing for you to do than if you're not ready, come and seek the Lord while He may be found, that you might know this Jesus. It's more than just reading about Him in the Word. It's more than just hearing somebody talk about Him, but knowing Him as a reality in the heart. We're going to sing it one more time. If you're not ready, I want you to come. We want to pray with you. What a day that will be When my Jesus I shall see When I look upon His face The one who saved me by His grace And when He takes me by the hand And leads me through the promised land Oh, what a day, glorious day that will be. Let's sing it one more time. Sing it. Oh, what a day that will be. Oh, when my Jesus I shall see. Oh, when I look upon His face. 
the one who saved me by his grace and when he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land oh what a day glorious day that will be let's make it by the grace of god will you do it amen god bless your heart brother Schaefer. Would you dismiss us tonight, please? <clears throat>